Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 65. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. In this session, we'll be finishing up on John chapter 19 and hopefully getting into John chapter 20. So unless you're driving, turn to John chapter 19 and we'll pick up on verse 30. Uh, we've just seen Jesus die, and at the end of that verse, it says, And bowing his head, he handed over his spirit. Now, that's important because Jesus said, Hey, it's, uh, you're, you need me to die so that if I, because if I don't die, the spirit, the Holy Spirit that is, won't, uh, won't come yet. And so uh, John includes this so that we know that the Spirit is going to come upon the church. He handed over his Spirit. Verse 31, Now since it was preparation day in order that the bodies might not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath day of that week was a solemn one. By the way, the Jews had a law that you can't have a body exposed before sun, uh, after sundown, especially on, on the Sabbath. So the Jews asked Pilate that their legs be broken. Uh, why would that be? Well, when you died uh, from crucifixion, you, you didn't die from the wounds of the nails in your hands and feet. You actually died of asphyxiation. If you can picture your hands being nailed to a cross, the, uh, it would be extremely difficult to breathe. And so the only way that you'd be able to breathe would be to push up with your legs on the cross so that you would be able to force at least some air into your lungs. Well, if they break your legs, then of course you won't be able to, to push up on it and your death of asphyxiation will be hastened. So the Jews asked Pilate that their legs be broken and that they be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then, uh, and then of the other one who was crucified with Jesus, you know, the two uh, criminals there. But then verse 33, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Underline the phrase, they did not break his legs in verse 33. And in the margins, write Exodus chapter 12, verse 46. We'll see in a moment why that is. And then it says in verse 34, But one soldier thrust his lance into, his, into Jesus' side, and immediately blood and water flowed out. So we have blood and water coming out. So the church says that is a symbolism. The water is a symbolism of our baptism because of the death of Christ gives us a chance for new life and baptism. And uh, so that's the, the water. And then the blood represents the, the Eucharist. We receive the body and blood at, at communion. Other thoughts are that the... Uh, the blood represents Jesus' humanity and the water, which always means cleansing, hence the name, you know, hence the idea of baptism. The water uh, represents Jesus' divinity. You could get that as well. 
Verse 35, an eyewitness has testified, there's that word testified again, which we see multiple times in John's gospel, and, and that eyewitness would have been the person who conveyed this information as it was going to be written down into the gospel that we now have. And his testimony is true. He knows that he is speaking the truth so that you also may come to believe. That's the purpose of John's gospel, that you may come to believe. For this happened so that the scripture passage might be fulfilled, not a bone of it will be broken, and again, that's from Exodus chapter 12, verse 46. So, you know, when you ate the Passover lamb, you, you were not supposed to break any of the bones. You know, the lamb was supposed to be the perfect sacrifice, as we've said before. And so we see that uh, John includes this detail so that we know that Jesus is, in fact, the perfect Passover lamb. So write that in your margins, Exodus chapter 12, verse 46, and then go back and cross-reference. Do the same thing with, uh, when you find Exodus 12, 46, and write in John chapter 19, verse, uh, what is this, 36. And then, and then again, another passage says in verse 37, they will look upon him whom they have pierced, because... Uh, John includes the detail that an eyewitness has testified. And so underline that uh, quote in verse 37 and put Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Then we see the burial of Jesus, where Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus see to it that Jesus is going to be um, entombed, if you will. And we also see that there was a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about 100 pounds and uh, that they treated the body with. I want you to circle the word myrrh. Where else do we remember myrrh given? Well, it was in Matthew's Gospel where the Magi brought gifts of what? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So even as Jesus was born, myrrh is, of course, a burial ointment, if you will. And so even in Jesus' birth, we are, we are seeing uh, a view of Jesus ultimately dying, and uh, hence the reference to the term myrrh. And then he is laid uh, in the tomb. And so we're done with chapter 19 there. Let's begin with a look at chapter 20. Verse 1, on the first day of the week, Mary of Magdala came to the tomb early in the morning while it was still dark and saw the stone removed from the tomb. So you may have a little controversy there because other gospels suggest that Mary was in the presence of others, right? Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 2, so she ran and went to Simon Peter Interesting that she goes to Simon Peter first, right? Because he is acknowledged as the first among the apostles. As we mentioned in another session, I think it was mentioned almost a hundred and what about 150 times, give or take, in the New Testament, much more than all the other apostles combined are mentioned. So he is the primary guy, and as we know, he's the guy that uh, Jesus said. Um, you know, will get the keys to the kingdom, etc. 
So it's significant that Mary Magdalene goes to him first. She went to Mary, Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And I'm getting a little tired of John wanting us to know time after time after time that he's the disciple that Jesus loved. I, I would submit that Jesus loved all the apostles, all the apostles. I would submit that Jesus loves all of us. But for reasons uh, that uh, are left to him, uh, John really wants us to know that Jesus loved him. And so Mary of Magdala says, they have taken the Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they put him. Circle the word we. That suggests what? That even though Mary Magdala was at the tomb, as it says in John chapter 20, verse 1, there were others also present at the tomb, which reconciles this account with an uh, other gospel account, which shows that there are other people there, right? Other people. Yeah. We don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple went out and came to the tomb. They both ran, and here's a little um, puffing up, I guess, again of John here. I find it kind of uh, funny. They both ran, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter. So apparently John wants us to know, okay, John, we get it. You're faster than Peter. Well, he should be because John was the youngest apostle. So he probably ran a little faster. Okay. Um, but uh, he bent down in verse 5 and saw the burial clause there, but did not go in. So... John, the fast guy, gets there first, but doesn't go in. Verse 6, when Simon Peter arrived after him, he went into the tomb and saw the burial cloth there. So, um, apparently John is showing some deference to Peter by letting Peter enter the tomb first. Okay, May say, If you were a Protestant, you wouldn't think twice of this. But uh, there must be a reason why John included, why John himself included that detail that he stopped and let Peter go in first. And the cloth that had covered his head, not with the burial cloths, but rolled up in a separate place. So um, we have what we Catholics uh, might know as the Shroud of Turin that we're talking about here. And that is, that is, um, um, you can read up on that on your own. Verse 8, Then the other disciple, John, also went in, secondly, the one who had arrived at the tomb first, and he saw and believed. And that's what we're all supposed to do, believe, right? For they did not yet understand the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. Again, they didn't totally get it until they see the resurrected Christ. And we can see the resurrected Christ whenever we receive him in communion. But you got to believe. And in order to believe, you got to understand, right? Um, this was all theoretical and to them until they saw the resurrected Christ. Then it says, uh, but Mary, this is Mary Magdalene, uh, verse 11, stayed outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she belt, bent over into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet, 
where the body of Jesus had been. Again, a little difference in terms of what what the other um, gospel writers reported. But as we've said before, John isn't big on details. He, he wants you to um, get more of a theological understanding of what's going on here. And they, they the angels, said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken my Lord, and I don't know where they laid him. I would circle the word my in that thing, because she wants to hold Jesus to herself, if you will. Okay. And um, so when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus there but did not know it was Jesus. So apparently a change in appearance. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? She thought it was the gardener and said to him, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you laid him and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary, now she gets it. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher, or rabbi, which means teacher. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, stop holding on to me. You know, she wants to keep Jesus for herself. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them, I am going to my Father and your Father, in other words, going to heaven, to my God and your God. So we don't, he's saying, don't hold on to the man of, of Jesus, but instead, um, I'm going to my father. That's what I want you to hold on to, the idea that I'm going to, to my father. I'm more than just, just the man. So then Mary Magdala, in verse 18, went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and what he told her. Okay. Uh, verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked. So why would the disciples have locked the doors to this upper room? Because they're all together. Quite frankly, they're scared. They, other, well, they have not experienced the resurrected Christ yet. Only Simon, Peter, and uh, John have experienced the empty tomb. And of course, Mary Magdala has experienced uh uh, Jesus uh, as a uh, you know as uh, he appeared to her um, so the doors were locked when the disciples were for fear of the Jews they still had fear they hadn't experienced the resurrected Jesus Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them what we say at mass during the uh, during the sign of peace peace be with you when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced, and when they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Okay, so again, apostolic succession. There's Jesus, there's the 12 apostles, and then he sends them. And this is very key. Uh, to our understanding of the sacrament of reconciliation. Verse 22, and when he said this, he breathed on them. I want you to underline that whole verse, but circle, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, 
and whose sins you retain are retained. So I want you to underline verse 22 and verse 23. Now, why is it important? Why does John feel it's important that you know that Jesus breathed on the apostles? And why did I have you circle the word breathe? Well, there's only two times in all of the Bible where God breathes on someone. And uh, this is the second time. The first time is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when he breathes life into man, into Adam, if you, if you will. So this is important. So when you, when you, uh, you know, when Jesus breathes on them, he's giving them new life. Life to do what? Life, uh, they, they receive the Holy Spirit, and then they have the power to forgive or retain sins. Now, you might say, okay, it says, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. What sins would the apostles as confessors retain? And the answer is one that is not confessed. So when you go to confession, you are supposed to um, confess your serious sins. If you do not do so uh, purposefully, then how can they be forgiven when you have not uh, you have not declared your sin? So that's why it's important to go to confession. So this verse uh, 22 and 23, it's not an accident that uh, Jesus breathed on them. We see that only twice in the Bible. And he clearly says, you can forgive sins or you can retain sins. The sins that would be retained would be, of course, the ones that are not confessed in, in a serious manner. So there you have the sacrament of reconciliation given by Christ to his apostles and by extension to those laid hands on by the apostles, which continues on through this day. Again, the uh, concept of apostolic succession uh, upon one of the pillars upon which the church is built. Well, we're about out of time for this session, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, dear Lord, we, we thank you, uh, obviously, for Christ's resurrection, which gives us hope in our own resurrection. And we thank you that he passed on the ability to forgive sins to his apostles, which we can appreciate and use even today as we recognize our sinful nature and we have the ability to go and uh, confess that and we know that you're always ready to forgive those sins that we acknowledge. Uh, and so help this uh, verse 23 encourage us to um, speak of the sins that we actually do so that they can be forgiven. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, continue on with us next time, and we will begin looking at the resurrection appearances uh, in greater detail. We'll see you next time on Catholic Doctrine Bible Study.